Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Father, we look to you today to minister your Word to us through your Spirit. I pray you would reveal to us your glory. And you would show us how your glory is involved in us reaching this community with your kingdom love and grace. I pray and ask that your spirit would anoint this time mightily, that you would be honored and lifted up and glorified. Amen. We continue in our study of knowing and understanding God. We're going to be advancing His kingdom in this community. We need to know the God whose kingdom we are advancing. We're in Jude 25. That little book right before the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, and the last book of your Bible. We're looking at the greatest doxology in all of Scripture. As Jude ends up this small letter telling us about our great God. Let me read it for you, verses 24 and 25, and we'll look at God's greatness as we go through it. First, he talks about God's great promise. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God's great power to keep us from losing our salvation, and now God's great promise to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless, With great joy. And then in verse 25, he talks about God's great person. First, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We've been looking at God's great person the last few weeks, and we first of all saw that God is the only God. And then last time we saw that He is our Savior, God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And today we're going to be looking at God's glory. He says to God be the glory, the majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. To God be glory. We're going to organize this time together around three questions. First of all, what is God's glory? We know what it is. Secondly, How was God's glory seen in the Bible? And then thirdly, how is God's glory seen today? It's been the last time you saw God's glory. Where would you go if you wanted to see God's glory? We'll find out today. First question, what is God's glory? We hear the term a lot, the glory of God and and God be glorified. We sung about it today. But what is God's glory? Well, the Hebrew word that's translated glory, at its root means weight or heaviness. Now, it came to mean important, worthiness. Now, back in the 60s and the ancient days, the hippies used to have a phrase, man, that's heavy. What they meant was, that's important. That's important stuff. And that's weighty. And that's kind of what the Hebrew word carries the idea of, important, it's weighty. And in Greek of the New Testament, the word means honor and splendor. But what is God's glory? 
God's glory is what God essentially is. God is glory. The sum total of the attributes of God is His glory. And God's glory is is so great, you can't just give a single definition. You've kind of got to talk around it. Next, God's glory is the revelation of His person and character to mankind. When we see the person and character of God, we're seeing His glory. God's glory also is His manifested perfection of His character. When He reveals the perfection of His character to mankind, that's His glory. God's glory is His manifest presence. That's what the Puritans used to refer to it as. The manifest presence of God. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, isn't He? But when God shows up in a special way, when He moves into a location in a special way, His manifest presence, His glory is revealed. Now we're going to see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that when God's glory showed up, when His manifest presence showed up, when God moved into a place in a special way, when the revelation of His character and person was made, Many times it was accompanied by a phenomenon such as cloud, or fire, or a bright light. The first instance we have of God's glory is found over in Exodus chapter 16. God has led the Israelites out of Egypt through Moses, and they have been out of Egypt long enough that they've used up all the food that they brought with them from Egypt. And so they're hungry. And they start complaining. They start grumbling. Moses, we're hungry. There's nothing to eat. It would have been better if we'd stayed in Egypt and at least we would have had food there. And so Moses goes and talks to the Lord about it. And this is what God says to Moses in Exodus 16, beginning in verse 7. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, after they talked to God, at evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. See His glory. You will see His manifest presence. You will see His person and character revealed. For He hears your grumblings against the Lord, and what are we that you grumble against us? And then picking up in verse 10. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Notice it doesn't say in a cloud, but it says in the cloud. Now in the Old Testament days, God's glory so much appeared in a cloud that it was called the Shekinah glory cloud. And it was known as the cloud. Not a cloud, but... The cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud. And God appeared in the cloud, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, God showed up in a special way, His manifest presence. I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God's glory showed up that day as He provided food for the Israelites. 
Although they were grumbling, complaining people. But if God's glory is the manifestation of His character and person, what did we see of His character and person there? You see, His grace. They didn't deserve this food. They were complaining and grumbling. We see His compassion that He feeds His people. We see His mercy revealed. We see His power as He creates Bread and meat, out of bread out of nothing, manna, and he brings the food that they need, brings the quail that they might have the meat that they need. The next time we see God's glory is over in Exodus chapter twenty four. Here the Israelites have come to Mount Sinai. You remember it was here that God gave the Ten Commandments, and he entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel. And they became his people and he became their God. Well, in Exodus 24, beginning with verse 15, we read, Then Moses went up to the mountain, and again the cloud covered the mountain, the Shekinah glory cloud. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountain top. Now, we didn't see in the other verse how God's glory appeared in the cloud, but here we're told it was, con- it was appearing as a consuming fire. Now, if I took a match out of my pocket and, and struck that match and lit a candle and was holding that candle up, would you say that candle represents a consuming fire? No, I wouldn't. But now, if you go out to a forest fire, if you've ever seen a forest fire and how it just rages and just licks up everything in its path, now that's a consuming fire. It wasn't a candle wick. It wasn't just a little candle flame there on top of the mountain. It was a consuming fire in the midst of the cloud that was revealing the glory of God. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. If God's glory is His manifest presence, the revelation of His character and person, what aspect of His character and person do we see revealed in this instance at Mount Sinai? We see His righteousness revealed. God gave Moses the laws concerning the tabernacle when He went up on the mountain at this time. And the tabernacle gave rules for how sinful man could enter to the presence of holy God. He gave the regulations for the priest and for the sacrifices that were to be done. We see again God's grace that He would condescend to come down and speak to man, sinful man, though He is infinitely holy. And so we see God's love, too, that God would enter into a covenant with mankind. And then the next instance that we're going to see is over in Exodus chapter 40. I'm not covering all the instances of God's glory appearing, but I want to give you a representative understanding so you can see His glory as it was revealed in the Old Testament days. The passage in Exodus 40 has to do when the tabernacle was completed and God showed up in a special way on that day. Beginning with verse 34 of Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's presence came so mightily in that tabernacle. Look what happened in verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was so great he couldn't stand to be there. He had to leave. 
You see, no person can stand in the full presence of God's unmitigated glory. It would take our life out of us. Our human being, our human life as it is today, could not stand the revelation of the full glory of God. It would just totally suck our life out of us. And so Moses had to leave. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would, would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. You see, the tabernacle represented God's presence with the nation of Israel. God was said to dwell between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant lid in the Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle. And this cloud that was over the tabernacle represented the presence of God with the people of Israel. They never had to doubt if God was with them. All they had to do was go outside their tent and look up and they could see the cloud. And then if it was night, it was a fire repeller. And they could see it. God's with us. He's here. We know it. And when God wanted them to move, the cloud would move. And they'd break camp and follow the cloud. And when it stopped, they'd stop. Sometimes it'd be a day. Sometimes it'd be a week. Sometimes it might be months. they just follow the cloud. Whenever God said move, they moved. And it represented the presence of God as He dwelt among them in the tabernacle. That was His presence. But one other time I want to bring out is in Leviticus. And it has to do with God's glory being manifested in the atoning sacrifice. Because the atoning sacrifice was when God said, I, a holy God, will have communion and fellowship with sinful man. But it must come at the price of the shedding of blood. It must come at the price of the death of a substitute. And so God allowed for that substitute to die in our place, in man's place, that he might have fellowship with sinful man. Leviticus 9, we see this truth coming out. Beginning in verse 5. Moses, excuse me, verse 6. Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you, Moses then said to Aaron, Come near to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. Verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting when they came out and blessed the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. When God said, I will accept a substitute death in your place, that my holiness might be satisfied... That my love might be revealed, that I can have fellowship with sinful man. It was a manifestation of his person and character. It was his glory being revealed. 
And it was revealed here in that sacrifice and the fire that came out and licked up the sacrifice. His grace, His love, His righteousness, His holiness. All those revealed in this atoning sacrifice. His glory. That was God's revelation of His glory in the Old Testament. Now when we come to the New Testament, it changes. How does God manifest His glory in the New Testament? Well, remember, God's glory is the manifested perfection of His character. Who God is. It's a revelation of His person and character to mankind. Well, where do we see the revelation of the person and character of God in the New Testament? In Jesus. That's why John wrote in the first chapter of his book, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is the word tabernacle. And we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at it from the perspective of glory that we've been talking about. John writes, And the Word became flesh. And he uses the word tabernacle. This Greek word is the word tabernacle. He has in mind the Old Testament tabernacle where God dwelt among His people. He's saying, look, God's among His people now, not in the tent, but in Jesus. And we saw His manifested presence. We saw the perfection of His character, His glory, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, only one time, and only to three people, did Jesus reveal the glory of God as a bright light. You remember that? It was at the transfiguration, as we see it in Matthew 17. Six days later, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His garments became as white as light. Now, Jesus contained the glory of God. In Him dwelled all the fullness of deity. But it was at this occasion that He allowed that glory to shine forth through His humanity, so much so that not only did He shine, but His clothes shone as the sunlight. Now He did that as an encouragement to His disciples because they were about to go through tremendous sufferings and persecution. And He did that that it might be recorded in His Word and all might know that Jesus is the glory of God. If there was any doubt that He was the glory of God, this removed it as His glory was manifested, even as it had been in the Old Testament in that bright light. But that was only that one occasion. The norm for the revelation of the glory of God in Jesus was through His miracles. As John tells us in John 2.11, after Jesus had turned the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, John tells us this in verse 11, This beginning of His signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. You see the word signs? It is attesting miracles. 
It is the miracles of Jesus that particularly attest to His divinity that He is God in the flesh. That in Him dwells the glory of God. And so John says, through these attesting miracles, through these signs, Jesus manifested the person and character of God Almighty. His glory was revealed. But supremely, And most of all, if you want to see the glory of God in the New Testament, you don't go to the Mount of Transfiguration. You don't go to the miracles of Jesus. But if you really want to see the glory of God revealed in its supreme way, you go to the cross. That's where you see the revelation of the person and character of God. There's no place else at the cross. That's why I wanted you to see in the Old Testament His glory showed up at the atoning sacrifice. Because that was just a pre-shadow, a prefigure of the death of Christ. In John 12, Jesus is anticipating His death that would come within that week that He speaks these words. And as He is anticipating His imminent death and Him becoming sin and dying as a sacrifice for His people, he says these words in John twelve twenty seven. He says, "My soul now, my soul has become troubled." He thinks about what he's going to have to go through, and the suffering, and the agony, and the pain, and the becoming sin. And he says, "My soul is troubled." But what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. I mean, I'm really upset and anxious and troubled when I think about going to the cross. But what can I say, God? Keep this from happening. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Though Jesus despised the shame of the cross, He knew He came to die. And look at what else He says. Father, glorify Your name. Father, in my death on the cross, glorify. Manifest Your person and character. Glorify Your name. Show who You truly are. Show your manifest presence. Jesus said the cross is, is hard and it's difficult and, and it's going to be an awful situation, but you know what I want more than anything? is for God's glory to be seen. For people to see the manifested, perfected character of God. That's what really matters, Jesus said. And look at what the Father said. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In other words, the Father was saying, I have shown my person and character through Jesus already, and I'm going to do it again at His death. The supreme glory of God is that He was willing to die for sinful man. In John 13, after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and and the Lord's Supper, and Judas had gone to betray Him, He said these words, beginning verse 31, Therefore, when He had gone out, that is, Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and will glorify Him immediately. Jesus was talking about His imminent death. You want to see the glory of God? Go to the cross. I say to you that no other place is the character and person of God revealed as it is at the cross. Where else do you see the grace of God like you see it at the cross? Perfect God dying for sinful man. Totally undeserved. Where else do you see the compassion of God that He would give His life for us? 
Where else do you see the mercy of God so greatly manifested? As He took our punishment upon Himself, sparing us that agony and suffering and death. Where else do you see the holiness of God that He would be willing to die for us? Where else do you see the righteousness of God so completely manifested as at the cross? You want to see God's glory? Don't go to the mountaintop. Go to the cross. That's where you see it. And that brings us to the third question. Where do you see the glory of God today? Where do we go to find it? Where do we go to show somebody God's glory? Believe it or not. In the Old Testament, it was in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, it was in Jesus. Today, it's in us. That's where people go to see God's glory. (laughs) In us. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says in verse six of chapter, excuse me, verse nineteen of chapter six, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you? Wait a minute. You mean God no longer resides in the temple, but now He resides in us? Yeah, we're the temple now. Just like God went from the tabernacle to live in Jesus, now He lives in us, His people, whom you have from God. And that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, look at these words, therefore, glorify God in your body. What's God's glory? It's a revelation of His person and character. Paul says, look, God lives in you now. If people are going to see God's glory, they've got to see it in you. As they see His person and character in your life, that's where they're going to see it. It's not going to be a bright light on some mountaintop. It's going to be in your life and my life as they see Jesus in us. As Jesus lives His life through us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it sobering? Maybe the problem in America is that there's not enough of the glory of God being seen. Because we, the people of God, aren't living and revealing Christ through us. You say, well, how does that come about? How does God reveal Jesus through me? How do I have the person and character of Christ revealed to me? How is Christ shown through me? Paul talks about this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at what he says. He says, but we have this treasure. And he's talking about the treasure of eternal life. The treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be... The power will be of God and not for ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despising. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Paul is saying, look, you care about, he says, we're caring about the dying of Jesus in our body. The death to self-life. Jesus never did what He wanted to do. He always did what the Father wanted Him to do. That was death to self. It is as we die to ourselves and our self-life that the life of Christ is seen through us. Do you hear that? It's when we die to self and we die to our way that the life of Christ is revealed through us. Paul said we're afflicted and we're persecuted in all these things so that we might die to self. So that the life of Christ might be seen through us. Verse 11, For we who 
For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And He's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about death to the self-life. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And what is the life of Jesus being manifested? That's the glory of God. Right? So we are being delivered over to die to ourselves so that the glory of God will be revealed in us as the person and character of Christ is revealed through our lives. That's why you're going through hardship. That's why you're going through difficulties. That's why you're going through struggles because all of those kill your self-life. And when your self-life dies, the life of Christ can come out. That's why we go through what we go through. That's why we don't have a, a trouble-free life as Christians. Because we got a lot of self that still needs to be killed. God's out to kill you. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. But He's killing you so that His life can come out through you. And when His life comes out through you, that's the glory of God being revealed. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians... Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, and I think that covers everything, don't you? Eat or drink or whatever you do, do all so that the person and character of God can be seen. Do all to the glory of God. That's why we are here on planet earth. That's why when God saved you, He didn't just take you right to heaven. He left you here to be His glory vessel, to be the manifestation of His glory. He left you here so people could see His person and character in your life. They could see His love and compassion and mercy in you. That's where they're going to see it. In you. In me. Jeremy Cock is a pastor. And he tells this story of a friend of his who goes to a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And in this church there was a lady who... And studying her Bible and then listening to the sermons, she just got increasingly convicted that she needed to reach out to her community with the love of Christ. She needed to advance God's kingdom in her community. But the problem was, she was a mother of three, and she worked in the Christian music industry there in Nashville, and so everybody she knew were Christians. And so she asked her church, she shared with her church her concern and her burden, and she said, pray that God will open up opportunities for me to advance His kingdom in our community. And so she prayed, and the church prayed, and three weeks later, she got a phone call. And the guy said, uh, a friend of a friend of mine said they heard you play the piano, and I need you someone to play the piano for, for me Friday night. said, could you do it? Well, she immediately thought, now this is the answer to a prayer. So she got the address of the house and she said, sure. Well, when she got to the address Friday night, it wasn't a house, it was a bar. So she was a little nervous outside her comfort zone all the way. But she prayed and she was convinced that the Lord was an opportunity. So she went in, met the manager, and she sat down and started playing piano at the bar. One guy came up and talked to her a little bit. His name was Jazz. and and uh, But... She left and really had only had a, a surface conversation with him, so she didn't know exactly what was going on, but uh, she was kind of glad to get out of there and, and went home. Well, Monday, she got a phone call from the manager of the bar, and he said, I really want you to come down and help us out every Friday night. Uh, she said, well, I need to think about that a little bit. So she went to her husband, talked to him. They went to the elders of the church and they prayed about it and said, you know, is this an opportunity? Is this what we need to do? 
and they felt like it was. So she went back the next Friday night, and lo and behold, Jazz was there to meet her and talk to him. Well, she found out talking to, to, to Jazz during her breaks that he was a 26-year-old homosexual in a relationship with a 48-year-old homosexual dying of AIDS. And so they talked, and for three months, as she'd go back, uh, Jazz would be there, and during her breaks, they would talk, and they kind of developed a relationship. And then finally, uh, one, one night, he brought his partner in. And immediately, she, she invited them both to come to her house for supper. And they said they would come. And so she went back to the elders of the church and said, we need to pray about this, pray that I'll have opportunity to share the gospel with these, these guys. And, and uh, so uh, night came for them to come over to her house to eat. And, and only Jazz came, but... Uh, he came by himself and her husband and, and she immediately just sought to show this young man the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ. And they sat down and they ate a meal. And when they finished the meal and, and they were about to wind up the evening, uh, Jazz started crying. He said, I have never been treated with such love. He said, you know, I can't understand why you would care so much for somebody as worthless as I am. She said, you're not worthless. She said, Jesus loves you and... And we love you too. And she said, I can, if you want to meet a lot of people who will love you, come to our church. And you'll meet a lot of people who will love you. So she invited Jazz and his partner to church. Two weeks later, Jazz shows up on Sunday morning. An elder meets him out and welcomes him. And, and he comes in and, and makes him feel right at home. And he sits with this family. And during the service, just tears going down his face. He just had never experienced anything so beautiful. The church began to just pray for this, this man and began to send cards to him and to his partner. Eight months later, Jazz and his partner accepted Christ as a Lord and Savior. Broke off the homosexual relationship, came out of the homosexual lifestyle, and two years later, they're still active in the church and sharing Christ in their areas of influence. I think that's the glory of God. The love and compassion of Christ. If we're going to reach our community with the Gospel of Christ, if we're going to love people into His kingdom, we've got to get out of our comfort zone. There are going to be people coming up to our, inward, uh, our upward soccer. They aren't going to be like us. They're going to be involved in some lifestyles that you and I aren't involved in and don't approve of and we know they aren't right. But you know, what can you expect from unbelievers? You can't expect them to act like us. We've got to show them the love of Christ. We've got to show them the compassion of Christ. We've got to love them into His kingdom. And once they get saved, God will deliver them from those sinful ways. But we've got to be willing to reach out to people that are different. We have got to show His glory. I'm convinced when unbelievers will see the love and compassion of Jesus, they'll be drawn to that. People are drawn to love. They are drawn to compassion. They are drawn to honesty. They are drawn to integrity. They're drawn to people who care. And if we will reveal the glory of God in our lives, the way we love, the way we care, the way we live, He's going to draw people. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto Me. Where is the glory of God seen today? In you. Are people seeing the glory of God in you? Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that our hearts would be moved